Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. I also want to welcome everybody coming from all over the world on SoundCloud or podcast. I want to welcome you into my home, McKinney, Texas. Beautiful day of August 2014. Praise be to God. I'm always thankful that the Lord gives me these words to speak every week, and I work on them all week long, and then I come to you, and after much awesome revelation that God's given to me, and and I'm able to... uh, regurgitate what the Lord has given me all week long. So I hope that the Lord touches you this day, this beautiful day, and you get fed from the Lord's Holy Spirit as He gives freely to all who ask. So let's ask the Lord to give us freely of His Holy Spirit and of His wisdom today as we start our message. If you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, we'll get our message started. Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here. Thank you so much for these words that you've given me to speak this week. And Lord, we just ask, Lord. Your word says that we should ask, and it will be given to us, Lord. Ask and you shall receive, Lord. We're asking today, Lord, for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit in this room today. I'm asking, we're asking, Lord, for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon all those that listen to this message, wherever they'll listen to it, wherever they're at, Lord. And I just pray, Lord God, by this message, you would continue to change our lives. Or bring us to you closer, or just bring us to you, period, Lord, wherever we're at with you. We're not with you. I just pray, Lord God, I ask for wisdom for me, even as I'm speaking your words, and although I have all my notes, I I even ask for more wisdom, Lord, outside of the notes, Lord. I just don't want to stand up here and just read. I just want to say what's on my heart, Lord, for you. And I just pray for wisdom for all those listening. Lord, that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would teach us today. Your Holy Spirit would give us wisdom and knowledge of not just earthly things, but eternal things, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that every one of us, Lord, in this church and every church that's yours, that's abroad, and every believer, Lord, I pray that we would have eternity stamped on our eyes, Lord, and that we'd be cross-eyed, cross-eyed looking at the cross, Lord, looking at you. So, Lord, I just ask these things, and I ask for revelation and and peace to come upon us, Lord. I ask that you keep the devil out of this place, Lord, and all his minions, Lord. Keep him out of our minds and keep him from whispering in our ears and making us distracted, Lord. And I just pray that you would, um, Lord, pray you'd be our guest of honor today, Lord. I want to welcome you, Lord. Your word says wherever two or three or more are gathered in your name, you will be there. So, Lord, I want to welcome you here. You're a guest of honor, Lord. Praise you and thank you. And we ask all these things and pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So if you guys want to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18, we're going to be in verses 1 through 5. Uh, so if you just want to turn there, I'm going to give some thoughts from last week. It's a brand new thing I just started starting, I think, last week. It's just called Thoughts from Last Week. I just kind of, usually I do a recap. Usually I do a, just a small, short recap of, of what I spoke about last week, but I started naming it. God's given me a name. Uh, thoughts from Last Week. So these are my thoughts, my recap thoughts from last week. Why the Master Paid the Temple Tax. As I prayed about these thoughts from last week, as I prayed and asked, you know, Lord, what, what do you want me to say from what I spoke about last week? Just to, you know, just to summarize it all. I feel like the Lord put this specific scripture on my mind. And it's Matthew 22, 35 through 40. And I'll explain once I read it. So Jesus is there with his disciples. And then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And remember, last week we talked about how Jesus paid this temple tax in order not to offend the temple tax collectors. Why? So that He wouldn't make them offended so that they could have a chance at salvation. Well, towards them, Jesus Christ emulates or lives out Matthew 22, 39. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
And he showed him this love because, remember, lawfully, he was the son of God. Lawfully, he didn't have to pay an atonement tax to the temple because he wasn't a sinner. The atonement tax was only for those that were sinners that needed to make atonement. But nevertheless, Jesus, least he offend them, paid the temple tax so that they could have a chance at that salvation that he offers. But he also shows us one more thing, something I think we could easily forget. What does he show us in doing this? He shows us once again that love is not just a word. Love is an action. Jesus acted in love towards these guys that came to him, even though he would have been, he could have had every right not to do what he did. Real Christians out there listening, wherever you are in all the world, just know this. Always be walking in real love towards all people. Because as we read last week, Hebrews 12.4, without that love, if we don't walk in love, people won't see the Lord living within us. And why are we here? We're here to bring glory to His name, to draw people to Him. Because we are not the Savior. We can't save anybody. But if we walk in love towards other people, other people will see Christ living within us. And why should we walk towards love? Well, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a real Christian out there, then you're a follower of Christ. Christ gave us his example of how he did this because that's the way he lived his life. We as his followers should be walking in love because he lived this way in his life. So my challenge, I feel like there's a little challenge here that we all ought to, I want to give you guys, including myself here, this challenge, every Christian out there that's listening to me, I want to challenge you this week to do one thing. Commit some random acts of love in Jesus' name towards someone else. Why in Jesus' name? Because if we just do good deeds and we don't do them in the Savior's name, then people just, where's the glory go? The glory goes to us. Oh, look at me, I'm such a great guy. But if we do it in Jesus' name, then they know why we did those good works. And find somebody to do something really nice to and loving towards that maybe is not so nice back to you. Why? Well, Jesus said, if you do good to those who love you, what credit is it to you? But But if you do good to those who hate you, Blessed, you're blessed, okay? And in Luke 10, remember, another lawyer comes and he says, but Lord, who is my neighbor? And Jesus gives the story, this, this parable of these two guys both hate one another, a Jew and a, and a Samaritan. And the Samaritan comes along and does a wonderful thing for the Jew, and they hated one another. And Jesus said, that's the man's neighbor. Even though the Samaritans and Jews didn't get together, the Samaritans still walked in love toward his neighbor, even though his neighbor was his enemy. So find somebody to do a random act of love towards in Jesus' name, and not necessarily somebody that's kind or nice. And make sure they know it's in Jesus' name. And remember, this act of love is not just a word. It's something that you're going to physically do for somebody, a kind deed in Jesus' name to do towards somebody. Praise God. All right, so let's get on to our new message. The title of our new message is The Requirements for Us to Enter Heaven. The Requirements for Us to Enter Heaven. Matthew 18, 1 through 5. Let's read them. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Per last week, flipping over to this week. I don't know if you saw it. God pointed it out to me right away as I started to, as I started setting up for this week. We have a completely we have two completely different contrasting 
accounts here that in actions wise. What do we have? Well, last week, just like I just talked about, Jesus Christ pays the temple tax, even though he didn't have to, committing just this act of love toward these temple tax collectors, uh, you know, demonstrating this love, this awesome love, even though he didn't have to do it. What is the opposite act of that we see here right off the bat? Verse 1, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now that may not, you may be saying, well, yeah, I could see that. But really, uh, the parallel passage in Mark 9.34 tells us that they were walking about and they were on the road disputing among themselves who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Or in other words, which one of them would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? These would be the 11 disciples minus Peter because Peter went off to the sea, caught the fish, and went to go pay the temple tax. Do you see the sharp contrast here? Christ demonstrates 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love suffers long, it is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up, does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endure all things. And the disciples demonstrate just the opposite of let's just pick a few of them well love does not envy yet they were being envious of one another who's going to be the greatest i'm going to be the greatest no you're not going to be the greatest no i'm going to be the greatest love jesus says is not puffed up well i want to be the greatest that's puff that's pride they're demonstrating pride instead of not puffed up love does not behave rudely well, that they're disputing on the road to one, you know, with one another. That that is not being nice. That's being rude. You're, they're arguing. No, I'm going to be the. No, I've done more for the Lord. No, no, no. Remember that guy that I cast. Who who knows how the conversation went? But nevertheless, they were behaving rudely toward one another. And that love does not seek its own. They were seeking their own. What can I get? What is my benefit? What will be my status? I'm going to do more. I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's pretty crazy. Christ walked in love always. Uh, Disciples were many times knuckleheads. We see that. At this time, they were also unsaved. But nevertheless, we see that contrast there, that sharp contrast. The love of Christ versus the selfishness of man right there. So they come to Jesus with this dispute. Jesus. Who then will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Like, you know, like that was what was important to him. So how does he handle their dispute? Verse 2, he takes it way down. Read verse 2 again. Then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them. Little child here could even be translated as infant but an infant would be crawling. So I put this little child just contextually at about anywhere from two to three years old. That's because kind of they live in a very close community, very close-knit environment. So they weren't their little infants and their little children, their little toddlers would play amongst the whole, you know, everyone. And all parents kind of looked out for one another. So this is a little child. What does he do? He takes a little child and he puts them in the midst of all his disciples. And they're probably standing there going, what? What does this have to do with who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He puts a real life display in front of their faces to start teaching them this answer. And this little child would have probably probably been the last example that they would have expected to see from who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Because a little child generally is not going to be casting demons out of demon-possessed people. He's not going to be probably raising the dead to life. I'm not saying that they can't, but a two- to three-year-old child is not really going to be knowledgeable enough to do those kind of spiritual things. They're thinking, I've done all these great spiritual things for the Lord, and since I've done more, and, you know, Jesus, maybe it was, you know, James and John were there too, minus Peter. Oh, well, we you know we're his close three. Who's the, Come on, who's going to be the greatest, Jesus? Tell us. Well, Jesus sets this little child 
And he still likes to, and he liked to then, give his real disciples an idea, a picture, or a real graphic idea of the lessons he wanted to teach them. He just did it with me last week. I talked about it in my message. I have a, a neighbor, and we had a dispute, and I was teaching on don't put a stumbling block, don't, you know, don't put a, don't, don't be a stumbling block, you know, to your, to those around you, you know, at least we offend them. And God gave me that real life example. I lived right through it, right before I taught it. Hey, Ed, you're going to teach on don't offend people just by, you know, doing things you don't necessarily, you can change. It's, it's not, don't squabble about the little stuff and be offensive to people. And I lived right through that, that message before I got to teach it. I had never really lived through that type of thing before I taught it, yet God wanted to show me, just like he did the disciples here, with this little child, God wanted to show me a real-life example of what it really meant not to offend people over little nothing things that they shouldn't argue over. Let them see the love and light of Christ. Don't be offending them by this, that, or little, these little things that don't matter. All I have to say is, praise God, he's such a great teacher. And he shows us that here again. He's teaching the disciples again. Back to our scripture. What was his point? Or what did he want to teach them by putting this little child, this little young two to three old infant in front of them? Read verse three. He goes on and he tells them. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, referring to the age and the type of little child in front of them, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, wait a minute. I thought that they were just asking him who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't really sound like he answered that question. He just kind of took a right and whoa, 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 we wanted to right here. What's the right answer? What's the answer? He takes a right. Notice his first priority there. I want to read it again. Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. That that has nothing to do at all with who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Well, there's a reason. Because God's not worried about your status in heaven. God's worried and cares about if you even get into heaven in the first place. His first and foremost priority was to teach them... uh, which one of them would, or excuse me, notice his first priority was not to teach them which one of them would have been the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They were, that's what they were discussing. That's what they wanted to know. That's what they were being selfish about, prideful about, puffed up about. But that's not what Christ chose as the, the most important thing to teach them first. What was most important for him to teach them first was to tell them how they must be saved. The God demonstrates these two verses that I'm going to read here all the time. Christ always demonstrated these two verses. 2 Peter 3.9 God is not slack concerning his promises, but is, but is long-suffering toward us, willing that none should perish and all come to repentance. All come to be saved. And 1 Timothy 2.4, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But of course, in verse 1, what do we see? I say it again, the selfishness of the disciples or the unsaved disciples. They hadn't been born again yet. They were trying to put the cart before the horse. They wanted to know which one of them would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven before they you know, were even really sure who got in to the kingdom of heaven. But in verse 3, Jesus tells them, you can't worry about your status, disciples, before you're sure that you're going to enter in in the first place. It seems as if the disciples seem here to think that heaven was just the automatic place that they just got to go hands down. That's they were only concerned with their status and their rewards of heaven versus am I sure that I'm actually going to go to heaven. Well, sadly, 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 today in America, we have that same idea. We, while I'm on the subject of how the disciples just assumed they were going to heaven, we have this plague in America as well, too. We have a real sad truth in our lives today, in our world today. Sadly, the majority of Americans believe that they are saved and on their way to heaven, the same as the disciples did. But sadly... 
when you look at the conversations that I've had just alone in 14 years, I've probably had several thousand conversations with people over the past 14 years. And I've asked people, what does it mean to be saved? And I get answers like, well, I believe in Jesus, so so I'm going to go to heaven. Or, well, I'm a good person. You know, after all, I've done a lot of good things, and and I'm going to heaven. You know, like the disciples, well, I've I've cast out these demons, and, you know, I've I've even raised up these sick people, and I've done all these things, Lord. Hey, so what's my reward going to be, right? People have told me, I've prayed, and, you know, I've accepted Jesus as my Lord. I'm good. I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Methodist, or, or I'm a Lutheran, or I'm a Jehovah Witness, or, or whatever. They tell me. But they don't give the answer that Jesus gave here in verse 3. Surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Their answers are just the opposite. A shock for you today, if you're out there listening, there's not one Baptist in heaven. There's not one Protestant in heaven. There's not one Catholic in heaven. Who's in heaven? Real people that were really in love with God. They're in heaven. Because in heaven, there's no such thing as denomination. There's no such thing as, well, I did these good works, I did this, and so that merited my experience, my trip to heaven. Because right here, the disciples wanted to know the same thing. Who's going to be the greatest? Lord, I've done all these great things for you. Woo! But you see, salvation's not by works. But they just thought, well, because I've done all these things, look, what place am I going to have? You know, that other times, are we going to be able to see, you know, I think it was uh, Peter, James, and John, maybe disputing amongst one another. Maybe it was all of them. Who will sit at your right hand? And who will sit at your left? And Jesus says, hey, that's not for me to decide, but that's for the Father. Because what's God concerned about? God's not concerned about how, what your status is going to be in heaven. God is concerned that you get there, that you actually make it to heaven. Yet the conversations I've had with people, thousands of people over 14 years, sadly, people are very confused and very deceived. You can even see their stance with God when you look at their ideas outside of salvation about the Bible. Barna is a real big pole guy, and they make these Barna poles, and they go out and they interview all these people, people and different beliefs and this, that, and the other thing. And some, in his last polls over the past few years, past number of years, I'd say maybe the last decade, he's come up with some number like 82% of all Americans claim themselves to be Christians. Yet, Jesus said, wide is the gate which which leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, and few there'll be that saved. Yet, 82% is many. Well, people are confused and God's not. You can see their confusion when you ask them like about their subjects, about different subjects of the Bible, like homosexuality, or who God is, or who Jesus is, or who the Holy Spirit is, or whether, he- or whether hell is even real. And what they'll say is they'll tell you they're a Christian, but then they'll say right out of their mouth, oh, well, you know, I believe God's a woman. Or, well, you know, the Holy Spirit, that's just, you know, a force. That's not God. Oh, and you know, hell, hell, eh, hell doesn't really exist. That's just, you know what? Hell was created to make people afraid so that they, you know, turn to your Bible and go to your religion. And they don't even believe the things about the Bible that God's Word says is in the Bible. But yet, I'm a Christian, bless God. Because, well, hey, I've prayed a prayer. Oh, well, I have a belief in Jesus. But here in verse 3, Jesus smacks down the disciples and he says, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say anything about their works. He said, I could care less about your status. Are you going to get in? Because unless you're converted, disciples, and these were his disciples. These weren't even us. These were the 11 guys that walk with him every day for three and a half years. I would have thought they were okay with God. I mean, they're walking with Jesus. Yet, Jesus said, are you even sure you're going to get in? Are you even sure you're going to get to heaven? Because if you're not converted, you won't enter in. The answers I've gotten from people that call themselves Christians are completely against God's truths that, that I've found, that I've polled people, that I've talked to people about the Bible. And yet they believe themselves heaven bound. Much deception in our world today. So people, please listen to me carefully. 
If you are a real Christian, and since you have become a real Christian, this is what's supposed to happen. It's called sanctification. God, through His Word and His Holy Spirit, have been re-educating your mind and your beliefs about Him and about the world and about heaven and about hell since you've gotten saved. And you know what he's been doing? He's been correcting your beliefs if you've been reading the Word of God. Because what we, what I knew before I started reading the Bible, I had my, my beliefs were way off in right field. And, and maybe a lot of them were in left field. But since I've become a Christian, since I've been reading the Bible, and I go, wait a minute, my beliefs don't match up here. So you've got to choose. Well, I'm going to believe my way, or I'm going to believe God's way. And if you're really saved and you've really given your life to the Lord, then you're going to believe His way, not my way and not your way, His way. And if that's not happening, and if you just have all these crazy beliefs and you're, and you're not letting God re-educate your mind, then the Bible says that you're not walking with God. You're not believing. You're not letting Him be your Lord. And how can I say this? Well, the Bible declares Jesus as a great teacher. The greatest teacher, I would say. Do you get it? Teacher. What does a teacher do? A teacher teaches his or her students, right? If you are saved, then Jesus is your Lord and your teacher. The very word Lord means that he's your master. You're listening to him. What does he say? I'm going to do it. What does he say? I'm going to listen. Oh, that goes against my belief. And he says, no, that's, well, this is what the truth is. And if he's your teacher and your Lord, then his truth stands and not yours. Yours falls and his stands. You repent of the way you think and you think the way he tells you to think. Because that's what it means that Jesus is your Lord. If he's your Lord and teacher, then you're going to believe and follow and obey his teachings. And they're only found in one place. They're only found in the Holy Bible. But pastor, I feel that. Give me the big strike from Family Feud. Because feelings don't surpass God's written word. And the infallible word of God is the ultimate truth. Whether we feel One way about a subject or not, God's word, the infallible truth. That's the last truth you stand on if you're saved and if you're a Christian. Well, I believe God's a woman. Well, Jesus said, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Well, God cannot be a woman if Jesus says, our Father. Okay? The Holy Spirit is the triunity of God, and God is a male figure. Well, the Holy Spirit's not a woman either. Okay, God's word stands if you're walking with him. His word stands and your beliefs fall if you're walking with him. And that is what it means that Jesus is your Lord and your teacher. All right. Sorry about that. I just sometimes just really felt that welling up in me this week. And I just had to speak on that a little bit. There's a lot of confusion, but I want to get back to the word. My heart is not to offend anybody. But if that did, I apologize. But I just want to speak the truth because I want to see people go to heaven. And people with our own beliefs and our own ways, we won't go to heaven. We have to believe God's way, not our way. So back to verse 3. What in the world does Jesus mean by unless you're converted and become as a little child or little children, you won't enter into heaven? What does he mean by that? What do you mean converted? Well, the first requirement for entering heaven, notice he said, is conversion. I want to break this down. Kind of, you know, a little bit complex, so just bear with me, okay? The word conversion in the Greek is strepho, defined in context of this scripture as to turn or to turn around. Metaphorically saying to turn oneself from one's course of conduct or to change one's mind. In a nutshell, conversion simply means to change from one way to another here in this context of the scripture because he says unless you're converted and become as little child that's the second requirement for entering heaven unless you are converted means change from who you are to become as a little child you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven well it sounds a little bit like repentance to me 
The word repentance, metanoia, a change of mind as it appears to one who repents or a purpose he has formed or of something he has done. But notice the first step of repentance is a change of mind. God's right, I'm wrong, my mind has to change, that's repentance. So here, you, it could even be read, verse 3, uh, Surely I say to you, unless you repent and become as little children, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you stop living the way you are and being like you are, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. As I said, the second requirement, changing from who you are to a little child. So what is it about a little child that Jesus is speaking of here that he says that we have to be converted to be like? Well, there are two main characteristics that the Bible really screams out about little children and about things that little children have versus adults. And they are two main characteristics of a two- or three-year-old child that people lose, sadly, as they grow up. Number one, the innocent and total, and I mean unconditional faith or trust in really almost all adults, but especially their moms and their dads. So total and unconditional faith, trust, all the way I believe in them. I trust in them. They're going to provide for me. You know, they're there for me. Hands down, don't even think about it. And number two, total dependence on. I mean, like, I cannot survive without mom or dad. I need to cling to my mom and dad. It's an attitude of the heart. It's an attitude of the mind. I need to cling to my mom and my dad. I rely, well, I'm going to rely on them. I need to rely on them 120%. They're all I've got. The little child faith, two to three old, doesn't even think about whether mom and dad get the rent paid. They don't even think about it. They don't even think, did, did, mom, did, did mom pay the rent by the 15th this month, by the 1st? They don't even think about They have so much faith in their parents. Is there gas in the car today? I, I wonder, are we gonna, are mom and dad going to be able to make it to work? Hmm. No, they don't even think about it. They just have faith that mom and dad's going to be there and everything's going to be the way it is. is. Is there food in the fridge? No, a two to three year old child, they walk to the fridge, they get whatever they need. And if there's not something there, they say, mom, dad, can, you know, can we get this? And they say no or yes. And if they need something, you know, that they really need, mom says, all right, we'll get it. No problem. They don't even worry. There's no worry. Oh no. Oh no. The fridge is getting low. Oh no. Does mom and dad, do they make enough money to put food back in the fridge? <gasps> no, that doesn't happen. A two to three year old child just faith. 100% faith that things are going to be and they're going to be okay. Unless that neglectful parent shows them another way, shows them that they're not, and they brutally start teaching them that and rubbing it in their face from, from youth, then a little child just expects, has so much faith, it's just going to be there. They don't even think about it because they know that mom and dad, they got it covered. That's the kind of faith, number one, that we have to have, that Jesus said, unless you are converted and become like what? Have total faith and trust. You'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Number two, on this total dependence. A little child clings to and stays for the, stays with their parents and relies on their parents for everything. And they don't even think about it. They come to them for everything they need. They rely on them for everything they need and they want. And why do little children have this dependent relationship, have this dependence on their parents. They have this total trust and they're totally dependent because they know that their parents love them and that they take care of them and that they help them out no matter what. And it's not even a question because that's what they've been doing since birth. And sadly, as I said earlier, we as adults, what do we do? We lose that. People hurt us. We get old and we think we get sophisticated. And what do we do? We start depending and relying on ourselves. We stop depending on mom and dad. We stop thinking, ah, we stop thinking, ah, you know what? They don't know anything. We all have done it. But as a little child, 
you have complete and utter dependence on mom and dad, cling to, rely on, and you have total faith and trust in your parents. They got it. I don't got to worry about nothing. So why does God require people, you say adults, to be converted and become like little children in order to be saved and to go to heaven? God speaks loud. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith, folks, is not just a... I have this mental belief, you know, because I have a mental belief that the stars are in the sky and there's a sun and there's a moon and I have a home. I have a mental faith about billions of things. But faith is something real. Faith is a heart issue. Faith is I, I trust, I rest in, I trust like that chair that you sat, in, sat down in today. You didn't even think twice about that chair being behind you. You looked, you saw it, and you went up, oh, I got it, I sat down. That's real faith. And without it, it's impossible to please God. Without childlike faith, as Jesus is saying here, it's impossible to please God. An opposite of total faith and hope in God for your life and eternity is what? Faith in you. Faith in others. Faith in the world system. Faith in your government. Because you have to have faith in somebody. It's just how we're built. We're either going to have faith in ourselves or we're going to put our faith in God. And if we don't do that, we're going to put it in our parents or we're going to put it in you know, our government or we're going to put it in our car. I have faith in my car. When I go out there, I start. I don't even think twice if it's going to start. Well, God's saying that kind of faith, I want it. You need it in order to get to heaven. Put your key in and turn your car on and that's it, it goes. And on this dependence issue, Proverbs 14, 12 and 16, 25. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the way in the end is of death. The opposite of total dependence and utter reliance on God for your life and eternity is dependence on yourself. Dependence on your government. Dependence on your friends. You're going to rely on somebody. And if it's not God, it's going to be you. Or it's going to be your wife. Or your child. Or your job. If you're going to depend on somebody, because we're built to depend on. We need, because we, we, we have to rely and depend on something. I've got to rely on myself today. I, you know what? I need to I take care of my own business. Well, you're relying and depending on yourself. Because we have to. It's just kind of how we're built. Attitude of, I can do this myself. I don't need anyone. Or in other words, pride. Pride comes before destruction. Okay? So you're going to have total dependence on somebody. You're either going to have total dependence on God, 100% total reliance, total dependence, or you're going to have total dependence on you or others and so on and so forth. So why does God require these two huge qualities of children in adults so that we can be saved and go to heaven? Is it because he's mean? Is it because he's harsh? Oh, he's just, he just has to rule over me. See, I don't, Ed, I don't really see how that's love. No, I don't think so. You see, because if we refuse to change and be converted and become his little children towards God, then we are willingly refusing to put our trust in Him, and we are willingly refusing to have a total dependence on Him. And what are we doing? We're deciding to be the Lord and the ruler of our own lives, and we're making a decision to put all of our trust and our faith in us. So unless we totally decide to have a change of mind towards our pride and self-reliance, God can do nothing to help us because He will not force us. You see, in the very beginning, God gave us free will. He said, you, here's your free will. I want to know if you really love me. You, Because you either really love me or you really love you. And so because He gave us that free will, and we have it, we can either rely on ourselves or we can trust in God. And we can either depend on us and our jobs and our government or we can depend on God wholeheartedly. But He will not force us because that would not be true love. And unless we come to Him and decide to put all of our faith and all of our trust and all of our dependence upon Him, 
we will reject his eternal plan for our salvation and a relationship with him. Because the most important thing that a relationship needs to have is what? Trust. If you don't trust who you're with, you won't have a relationship with that person for very long. And if you don't have some kind of dependence on, well, if I call them, they're going to answer. If I can't depend on them to answer when I call, well, I'm going to stop calling them. So you have to have dependence and trust in any relationship. But you either put it all in him or we put it all in us. And that's why we need to be converted and become as little children toward God in order to enter heaven. Remember, God is love. So because of this love, he always wants to give people the directions of how to make peace with him and spend eternity with him. And that's what he did here. Praise God. He's so loving, and all he cares about is our eternity and our peace with him now. So now that he told the disciples how to inherit eternal life, he goes ahead and tells them how they can be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Read verse 4. Therefore... Whoever humbles himself as little children is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This would be after conversion. This is now that you're saved, is now what you have to do now once you're saved is now if you're humble, super humble, that means living out super, super faith. He says simply, the more you trust in God with childlike faith and totally depend on him like a child would, the greater in the kingdom of heaven you'll be. And it kind of put it like this. You want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, get saved first. Then, after that, exercise your faith on an everyday basis. And if you look at it, think of in the world's terms even, because God shows us this in the world. The more you invest in anything, the bigger your return will be. The more you trust... The more you have childlike faith, the more you depend on every day, because there will be things in your life, if you, even if you are saved and you're listening to this message, there's going to be things in your life that you have to decide whether I'm going to trust in God on this subject today or not. Today, this very day. Yesterday and the day before and the day before that. Because there will always be things that come up that cause us to either, A, I'm going to put my trust in God for this issue, or what do I do? How do I take care of this? How do I fix this? Oh my gosh, what do I do? And notice, putting trust in God is peace. Putting trust and dependence in yourself is stress and anxiety. So, trusting and depending on God is no different than wherever you put your investment. That's where you'll get your return. And verse 5, lastly, let's read it. Whoever receives one of these little children, one little child like this, excuse me, in my name receives me. Jesus is now speaking of the converted and saved childlike person. Not just like, not just the child example anymore. He goes as far as to say that if anyone receives or welcomes the converted childlike person, this would be the saved person in my, my name, it's like they receive me. 2 Corinthians 5.20 backs this up. A real Christian, the Bible says, is an ambassador for Christ. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone that represents the person that they come from. So somebody that's saved, if you want to be saved, not only will you be great in the kingdom of heaven if you have humbleness like a child, but you'll also, if somebody receives you, God will view you as someone that's representing him on this earth. So, you know, this great love. In a sermon a couple weeks ago, I talked about his character is love. And I told you that I was pretty assured after this that the very essence of God is 100% love. Well, to me, I saw this again here, what, what Jesus spoke to us today again. Recapping, the selfish disciples come to him only concerned with their status in heaven. And instead of answering just that, Jesus gives them directions on how to even be saved in the first place. But these words he spoke here weren't just for them then. They are for us now. Jesus gave them the directions, and they're still written down for us now. He loves us the same today as he did, as he loved them in their day. And how do I know this? Well, God could have wiped out the Bible completely. God could have said, nope, I'm going to shut my word down cancel it all out, you know, my salvation was for only for this generation. 
but he didn't. The fact that God still has his word with us today shows us that these words weren't just for them then, but they're for us now. So God's love that he shared with them back then, these directions that he gave them to be saved, weren't just for them, they're for us. He could have destroyed this book and these words and not allowed us to read them, not one word. But he showed us that he loves us by still having these directions available for us in 2014, this very day. So he loves you and he loves me the same way he loved his disciples and the same way he loved the people all over the face of the planet in his day. But he showed me, but he showed us one more huge way that he loved us. How did he do that? We see Jesus Christ dedicated his whole life to you, for you, by coming to earth, dying for your sins on the cross. He gave up his very life, just like we talked about in communion today, before we started service. He gave up his very life so that you could have eternal life. He came and stepped into the world of man as God himself, and he became a man. And what did he do? He allowed himself to be scorned and put to death and beaten and battered and and bloody all for your sins and for my sins and for the sins of the world. So God demonstrates his own love like this, that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. You see, Jesus Christ dedicated his whole life to you and he sacrificed his whole life you 100% and all he wants back from you is for you to respond to what he did for you by dedicating your life to him and making the decision to be converted and become like a little child towards him putting all your faith in him in him alone for everything and stopping trusting in yourself stopping trusting in anyone else but trusting in him and him alone And he wants you to start depending on him and clinging to him 100% for everything, in everything, in all ways of your life. He wants you to cling to him. I need you. I can't live without you anymore kind of an idea. Jesus made you and me his everything Won't you make Jesus your everything today and humble yourselves and admit your need for him in your life? I encourage anyone that's listening, please think about it. Look what he did for you. Look at the sacrifice he made for you. And then think to yourself, if he loves me that much, doesn't he deserve my love back? Because that's all you can do is love God back. You can't love him greater than he loved you because he loved you first. But you can sure respond to his love and say, you know what? I realize that I'm not trusting in God like I should. I realize I'm not depending on God like I should. And you could take a step today and say, you know what? I need to be converted because not only am I not going to go to heaven, but man, trusting in myself and relying on myself, well, that's stressful. And you know what? I have no peace. Wow. I'm miserable. And you could take that step and say, you know, I'm going to turn right now and I'm going to be converted and I'm going to act toward toward God like a little child. Uh, From now on, that's it. All my faith, all my trust goes in Him no matter what, I'm relying on Him. And you could depend on Him 100% right now. If you'd like to take that step today, but you don't know how, I'm going to pray in a minute to show you how. But first, I want to say this. Salvation happens in your heart, in your soul, not just in your head. So just praying some pretty words out of your mouth, you know, oh Lord, you know, uh, I need you, and I, you know, I, I believe in you, with all mental is absolutely almost useless. Unless, what, you mean it from your heart, because salvation is from your heart. Salvation comes from within. And, and how would I best describe this? I searched for these words this morning, and God gave them to me. Think of the last thing you were very passionate about. Think of that last topic, that last person, that last thing in life that you were passionate about. That you, I, wow, I just got to have that thing. Oh, I really just want it. I'm passionate about it. I've got to do it. I love to do whatever. I love to go whatever. Whatever you were 
passionate about. The last thing you could remember, I was passionate about this. Well, that's a love that comes from the heart. That's a passionate type of love. That's just not, well, I love to have a cup of coffee every day. Now, I like to do that, but man, I, you know, that's not passion to me. People have a lot of passions. So think about that before you pray and ask God and think about that passion. And that's where God wants, to, that's where God wants you to come from when you're praying and, and you want to be converted and you want to be and have childlike faith and you want to you know, surrender to God and you want to make God your everything. And think about that when you're praying from the heart instead of just a mental prayer, a passionate in the heart, from the heart prayer. So you could pray along with me to God and, and pray from your being and your passion and you could take a step to surrender and conversion today. And please, I'd encourage you to because God loves you very much. And I'd hate to see him give these wonderful directions and for us not to take them. So if you want to join me in a word of prayer, I'll close out our service and, and you could follow along if you like. And dear God, Lord, thank you so much. I believe in what Pastor Ed said today, Lord. And I just, I believe. And you know what, Lord? I don't trust in you. But Lord, I want to trust in you now. Lord, I want to make you everything. I'm, I'm tired of trusting myself, Lord. Please forgive me. For I have no trust in you right now, Lord God. But I want to trust in you. Please, Lord, help me. Save me from this wrong path I've been on. Save me, Lord. I don't want to trust in myself anymore. I don't want to trust in the world. It's only ever let me down. It's only ever left me empty. People always hurt me. But Lord, your word that this man read today, this Pastor Ed read today, it sounds like you really love me. And if you love me that much to give your life for me, then Lord, it sounds like you'll never let me down. So Lord, I want to put my faith and trust in you. And Lord, I, I'm going to cling to you in that faith and just depend on you 100%. I'm tired of living my own way, Lord God, clinging and trusting and resting in myself, Lord, because I have no peace. And I rely on myself right now, Lord, but I don't want to do that anymore. So Lord, I dedicate I just dedicate my life and I want to rely on you right now. And I'm going to stop relying on myself and rely wholeheartedly on you for everything I need instead of stressing about things, instead of worrying about things. I just got to have childlike faith in you because you'll never let me down. Please, God, save me from the way I am now. And I want to be converted. I want to have a relationship with you and Lord, I want to go to heaven and be with you forever. In Jesus' name, I ask these things. So Lord, I just pray for anyone that called out to you just now, Lord. And I just pray, Lord God, that you would uh, fill them right now with just your sense of peace. And then, Lord, I pray that those words wouldn't just be mental words, but Lord, words that come from the heart. And Lord, that they meant them and that when times come up, they will choose, I'm not going to depend or rely on myself, but I'm going to depend and rely and trust on you to save me for my hope for every day and for every moment of every day, for every single thing that happens every day. I'm just putting all my reliance and my trust on you, Lord, for them, and I pray that they would unto you as well too. That we love you so much. We thank you so much for your beautiful directions to heaven and peace. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.